0: Before we get started with the show, I just want to take a moment to thank Trusted Health. They're a nurse travel agency that does things a little different. They're back once again to sponsor our podcast and we really appreciate them. Guys, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile and you can start seeing jobs that are available all across the country right now. And not only will you be able to see the jobs, but also you can see what they pay. So go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and see what's out there waiting for you. That's trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse. Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I thought it would be appropriate for us to have Mark, my husband, and the IT department back on this week since We had just celebrated our 25th anniversary.
1: 25th? Yes. Oh, I was off a year.
0: Mm, It's been 25. It's been 25 years.
1: Feels like 26.
0: Mm, What? I'm not sure how I feel about that. So you guys seem to always have a good response whenever Mark comes on and to host an episode with me because I think you guys like the back and forth of of the spouse of the nurse and kind of having that perspective. So here you go. Hope you enjoy it. And we have a couple of really good stories uh, to tell you. First of all, we are going to do for our our co- sort of quote, bad nurse story, Uh, we actually aren't going to tell you whether it's a bad nurse or a doctor because you guys know we don't just pick on nurses. We have we do all sorts of medical professionals. So we're not going to quite tell you who because this story does involve a nurse and a doctor. And so just to sort of keep um, a little bit of suspense to the story, we'll hold off and let you guys figure it out. Trust me, you'll figure it out soon enough. (laughs) So on December 13th, nineteen eighty four a farmer in Missouri finds the body of a young white man. He had been shot twice in the back of the head um, he was lying on his back with arms by by his side. He didn't have a wallet on him. There was no identification. They did an autopsy, and that autopsy showed that he had consumed more than a dozen alcoholic drinks before he died. The staging of the crime scene, sort of, uh, particularly the fact that it was an execution-style wound to the back of his head, and then there was, obviously his wallet was gone, it sort of appeared to the investigators to be drug dealers or robbers or that sort of thing so they ran his fingerprints because they obviously don't know who this person is and they discover that it is a man by the name of Sean Cavanus. and they're able to track him down because he had like a minor traffic violation the year before or so so they, they find, took his
1: fingerprints for a minor traffic violation
0: I guess yeah that's <laughs> interesting No, it's a different state. Maybe they have different practices. And this was a little back in the day, so I am really surprised at that. But So the investigators were able to find his brother. He had a brother. His name was Kevin. Kevin was devastated, of course, to find out that his brother was dead. He was just sobbing and really, really upset. And the investigators are told something by Kevin that has them pretty much flabbergasted because it was pretty shocking. So Kevin told them that Sean was not his first brother to be shot and killed. I mean that's pretty unusual, right? I mean I would hope. Yeah, it is. It's it is unusual. I would say it's unusual maybe for one person, but for two people in a family, definitely seems like that would that would be an unusual occurrence and the police definitely thought so. So they're of course intrigued by this. So as they're investigating Sean's murder, they find a neighbor in that area where they found his body who saw a car that seemed suspicious that evening. And so that neighbor was able to write down a license plate number.
1: Now, this is a neighbor in the area they found him or where he lived?
0: In the area where they found him. So the area where they found his body is... It's It was an area where there was some sort of chemical spill or something, and they literally had to have everyone, like, quarantine this whole area there and move everyone out, and they couldn't let anyone live in the area for a long period of time. And then they ended up converting the whole area into a park once they cleaned it up and were able to deem it, you know, safe for people to come back in. They They just made it into a big park area. So I guess... This man lived in a neighborhood adjacent to this park and he saw this car like pulling up and then driving really slow and then backing up and just and he thought, that's really strange. And then at one point the car got to the got um positioned to where he could see the license plate number and he thought, I'll just write that down just in case. And it turns out that when they ran the plates, they discovered the car belonged to a prominent physician from Southern Illinois. So where this all took place, where Sean's body was found, this was in St. Louis, and that's where Sean lived and his brother Kevin. So they all are living in St. Louis. It's not too far from Southern Illinois. It's sort of adjacent, you know, the the two states. And so this car belongs to this prominent doctor from Southern Illinois. And this doctor was Dr. John Dale Cavanaugh. And it just happened to be Sean's father. So there are some things that happen later. And of course, we, we're going to talk about the other brother and what happened to him. But before we get into that, I think this is probably a good place for us to maybe put in a little commercial break. And you guys, I just want to say to you how much I appreciate you listening to our commercials and whenever you can using our sponsors and because and we know that you're doing this because our sponsors are returning and we're having people come
1: re-enlist
0: and re-enlist exactly <laughs> and that just tells us that you guys are are being responsive for them and we appreciate it so much because it definitely helps us offset the cost of the of doing this podcast cuz it's it's not it's not cheap it definitely costs money to keep this going the way it it's going. <laughs> and so having said that the University of Portland School of Nursing has asked us to sponsor our podcast again and we are so incredibly thankful for them. We appreciate them so much. They want you to know about their BSN to DNP program. So Mark a DNP for, for those of you who are listening that don't know. It's a doctor of nursing practice degree. And if you get this degree from the University of, of Portland, it's going to allow you to work independently, which of course, nurse practitioners want to be able to do. But also you can collaborate with other healthcare professionals. And I mean, this with this degree, they can diagnose and they can manage a acutely ill patients, chronically ill patients. So the program is really cool. It's a hybrid program. It's a three-year BSN to DNP program. It's mostly online learning, but there is an on-campus immersion weekends only. One time a month, you do the on-campus immersion portion of it. And one of their alumni, Jennifer Cortez Klein, from the class of 2020, she said that she chose the program because it's a rigorous curriculum and it places emphasis on preparing family nurse practitioners as clinical experts and innovative leaders. And she is a first-generation Latina. She said she looks forward to being able to serve vulnerable communities by providing an integrative approach to health care and addressing social injustice through systems-level change. And I just love this. this. This is great that she is able to take her education and try to give back and do something good in the community. And it sounds like she is trying to get in there and be the change that she wants to see in the world. Applications for summer 2021 are now open, and they'll, they're will they going to be accepting those on a rolling basis until April 1st, 2021. So if you guys want more information, go to nursing.up.edu, that's nursing.up.edu, and check them out. We also need to show our friends at Trusted Health some love because they are sponsoring our podcast again for another quarter. And we certainly appreciate them as well. I mean, Trusted Health, they're really different from all the other nurse travel agencies. I mean, you are an employee of Trusted Health. You're working for them. They kind of have you under their wing. And they have nurse advocates that are nurses that actually have been travel nurses and they kind of like are just there as a support system for you. They've just got your back. And if you guys are interested in travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile because even if you're just curious about it, you can see jobs all across the country and you can see what they pay. And you guys, I've been dealing with them now for over a year. I feel so comfortable with them. And I just really believe in everything that they're about. So go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile today. So the investigators, obviously, are going to go interview the doctor, right? They find him, they go to him. And the investigator is kind of interesting because when I was watching the interview of the investigator, he was really nervous about going to interview him because he said he's this very Prominent, popular, well loved doctor, and highly educated, obviously, and he was nervous about going because he is considering him a suspect. His car was in the area where the body was found, and he's just kind of nervous about. Uh, and I love that he was willing to just admit that, you know, <laughs> just mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, I-, I was just, I was nervous to go talk to him." However, <laughs> his nerves was were put at ease real fast when he got to the doctor because he was apparently intoxicated and very disheveled when he found him. And so he starts interviewing him, which I kind of thought that was interesting, that he would interview him while he was intoxicated. Because don't you think that, like, if he said anything incriminating, it might not be considered admissible? I don't know.
1: Maybe not admissible, but useful.
0: Yeah, I guess. So I thought that was kind of, I mean, I don't know. I mean things get thrown out on technicalities all the time. Mm -hmm. And I know that from researching these stories and seeing, you know, interviews from prosecutors and, and, and investigators that prosecutors get frustrated with police officers all the time because they step over lines they're not supposed to step over. So I was wondering that when he said that he, interviewed him and he was intoxicated, I thought, I wonder if this is something that could get thrown out, you know? Yeah,
1: well, you have that element of surprise yeah. when you come to see him. If, you, if you're going to sober him up first, then <laughs> you might lose something.
0: That's true. So, they ask him, of course, when's the last time you saw your son? And the doctor tells the investigator that he hadn't seen him. And so...
1: That was the wrong answer.
0: Yeah, that was. I mean, it was. Now... I was thinking when I saw this or, you know, heard this answer, I thought, well, just because it was the doctor's car doesn't mean the doctor was driving it. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like someone actually saw the doctor and literally anyone could be driving someone's car. But he
1: would have to explain why his car was there.
0: Oh, for sure. Definitely. But I think they just sort of left it at that and kind of, I think it's, you know, the, the investigators sort of like let him Hang himself. Hang himself. <laughs> so, Doctor, uh, just to sort of kind of catch everyone up to all of the people that are in this story, uh, Dr. Kavanis was born in 1925. He was born in an area called Little Egypt, which is in southern Illinois. For you guys that are in Illinois, the... Apparently all of the stories that I the you know the stories that I came across said that Little Egypt is basically southern Illinois. But then I also saw people who are from Illinois who said that they have never heard it called that. So I have no idea. You guys know how this stuff happens. That's what this is called though. It's what this is known as, at least in the stories about this. What yeah. happened? Or the,
1: it's been a long time, so. Oh, maybe. it
0: has been a long time ago. That's true. Maybe it was called Little Egypt at one time back in the '80s, and then it just slowly over time lost that name. Um. So, Doctor Cavaness, um, they, I mean, his family was pretty well off. I mean, they pretty much had to be because they didn't really suffer through the depression, and he was he grew, came up through the depression, and he was able to go to medical school. So they had to have been somewhat well off. Right? I mean, otherwise, I doubt he you know would be able to go to medical school at that time. His father, however, was kind of rough on him. He um, I guess, it sort of caused him to be a little rough around the edges. Um, when he graduated from medical school, he came back to the little Egypt area and he got married. He was, um, however, abusive to his wife he was drinking a lot and just an abusive person and so his wife doesn't like that and ran off good for her so in 1952 he remarried and this time he married a nurse her name was Marion life is good exactly Marion Newberry he continued to drink though Um, he would still drink a lot frequently take his frustrations out on his family and he was also known to sleep around and have a lot of affairs and everyone apparently knew this his family knew it
1: Now, who were the kids by the first
0: wife no the kids were by marion Yeah, okay. he did they did have he and marion the second wife had three sons okay so in 1972 so this was a while late. i mean you know we were jumping from 52 to 72 um He's drinking heavily by this time. He's out on a drinking binge. He gets into a car and causes an accident. And while drinking and driving, he killed a 10-month-old baby and the baby's father in, in that accident. He was charged with DUI and unlawful possession of a loaded weapon because he had a loaded pistol in the car along with open al- bottles of alcohol in the car. And he was sentenced to 2 years probation. And a $1,000 fine.
1: Probation.
0: So disgusting to just think that. And this was the 70s. So I know that at that time, it was different. And I don't know. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? It is. It's really hard to imagine. But the whole concept of DUI and, and uh, driving under the influence being I guess, a really bad thing didn't come along, maybe, until later 80s. It's and it like Mothers Against Drunk Driving and that sort of thing. It still
1: would have offended a lot of people, I would think.
0: I don't know, because they didn't even, I mean, you would think that it was, if it was seen that way, they would have charged him with some sort of manslaughter, but they didn't. They charged him with, that because he had a loaded weapon and, you know, unlawful possession of a, of a loaded weapon and then driving under the influence. But it's like, so it's, ali- it's illegal to drive in the, under the influence, but if you cause a death while doing that.
1: Yeah, I don't really know the significance of a loaded gun when he just killed two people with his car.
0: Right. That car was a lot more dangerous than that loaded weapon. Yeah. So the abuse got worse toward its family. He would chase them around the house. He was just really cruel to them. Just play really uh, cruel games with them, like lock them in rooms. Marion got just absolutely tired of this, and she left and moved to St. Louis with her three sons. So their oldest son, Mark, uh, started dealing with depression. Um, And he was self-medicating with alcohol and drugs. He Dropped out of school. And this
1: this was depression due to their separating. I, I mean, think I read.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was hard on. Even though his father is abusive, you know, children still love their parents. Right. That's just the way it is. And and it was hard on him. And and he he actually ended up moving back with his father. It's so hard to understand. But
1: maybe he had more freedom, he thought, if he would move back there and maybe money. I don't know.
0: I guess maybe that was the case. Uh, Dale wasn't happy with his son's behavior. He would refer to Mark as a no good pot smoker around town, you know, to people when he was talking about him.
1: As opposed to a no good drunk DUI right. baby killing. Right.
0: Yeah, this man was certainly not. I don't think he thought the rules applied to him. <laughs> So in 1977, Mark, his son, was working uh, jobs around town. And also he was kind of working on the farm there, um, the family farm. Marion wanted Mark to come back to live with her and the brothers. And so it's around Easter time. So Marion and the two brothers go to visit Mark for Easter. They're supposed to have dinner. And they were planning on trying to convince him to come back to live with them. So they get there To dinner, and Mark doesn't show up. So he apparently lives in a trailer on that property somewhere away from the main house. So Mark's not showing up for dinner. They go looking for him. Sean, his youngest brother, who was 15 years old at the time, is looking for him and he found him. He found him lying in tall grass near his truck. He had been shot in the chest. The door of his truck was open. There was blood on the driver's seat, on the floorboard, and the driver's side door panel. There was a coat hanger with a hunting vest hanging from it. And the coat hanger was actually hooked to the trigger of the shotgun. So investigators didn't have any other evidence, apparently. So they declared his death a suicide. So, I mean, this this story is just awful. I mean I yeah. can't imagine the 15 year old you know finding his brother like that and
1: yeah I mean it's, it's already depressed me just thinking of what kind of life these kids had
0: mm-hmm.
1: with their with their dad
0: yeah and you would think physician you know prominent physician no less that that should be a per- picture perfect family right but as we know in these stories just because you have money and just because you have a good career or whatever it is, that doesn't mean that everything is is great. So this happened, Sean, the youngest, youngest brother, finds, finds Mark. They, they rule it a suicide just based on really not having any other evidence and then that whole thing where it looked like the coat hanger was somehow rigged up. Well, Dr. Dale cashed in a $40,000 life insurance policy That he had, right, it's like, he had taken out just a few months earlier. And apparently around this time, Dr. Dale started using drugs. So, hello pot, kettle calling. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this man definitely, it's so weird. But but I guess it kind of does go along with the whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing he has going on because people in the community... Think he's one person, and in reality, at home, he really is a completely different person. So, it does make sense that in the community, he would be talking about his son, you know, complaining about him smoking pot and being a loser or whatever, because he's more concerned with appearances than he is what's really going on.
1: He must have hidden his alcoholism really well. I mean, yeah, he did have a DUI, so he obviously would go places and drink and and drive, but he must have hidden that because that kind of stuff would get around and it would damage his reputation. Yeah, especially
0: during that, you know, in this time, in that day and age. But somehow he was Mr. he was Dr. Teflon, I guess, because nothing seemed to stick to him. His son Kevin later on would say that he caught Dr. Dale doing a doing a drug deal. And his father told him that if he told anyone about what he saw, that he would kill him. In 1980, Dale was convicted of some sort of medical fraud. Not sure exactly what that was, but it was just uh, some sort of medical, I think it said medical deception. In 1984, he convinced his sons, Sean and Kevin, because Mark had passed away, he convinces them to somehow help him with this elaborate insurance scheme. And I swear it's the most difficult thing to try to figure out what in the world this was because somehow the way this worked is he, his sons put out some money for this scheme, and then Dale was supposed to be paying a thousand dollar premium per month for whatever this insurance scheme was. He convinced them that they were going to get some sort of payoff, you know, later on down the road. And so It just seemed, I don't know of any insurance situations or anything like that that, where that would even remotely make sense.
1: The only thing I know of would be policies.
0: But it's, what doesn't make sense is that the, why would the sons have to put up money for that? Like, I don't, I don't understand it, but I guess I don't have to understand it. Let's just suffice it to say that there was some sort of an elaborate insurance scheme he involved his sons. He had them putting up money for it and somehow convinced them that they were going to be rich from this. So if you haven't figured it out by now, the police are definitely thinking that our good doctor is not so good. And they actually think that Dale went to visit Sean that night and brought a lot of alcohol because he knew his son would be weak and, and probably want his father's approval. And so he would drink they think that he got him drunk and then drove him out to a secluded area and shot him twice in the back of the head for insurance money because that whole elaborate scheme that he had was actually some sort of policy that would pay out upon his children's death.
1: So they they basically paid for an insurance policy that he would cash in on by killing them.
0: Yes. Just unbelievable. Just disgusting. So I, yeah. I
1: I remember something you told me about uh something he said about the car accident. Yeah. Remember he said something like everyone's got to die sometime. Oh
0: my goodness. Yes, he did say that. Apparently when he was told that the 10-month-old baby and the father died in that car accident that he called it caused um his response was, Well, everyone has to die sometime.
1: It just sounds like he doesn't have a soul.
0: No. So depraved. Through all of this, though, Dr. Dale, as his patients lovingly referred to him, remained popular and the community even raised money for his defense. He basically just lived a double life. He literally was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where, you know, the community saw one person in his family, saw a completely different monster. But the jury, you know, the police did arrest him and charged him with first-degree murder. And the jury agreed with the police because they convicted him of first-degree murder. And they sentenced him to death in 1986.
1: And what state was this?
0: Well, St. Louis is where it happened. And so, I think this was in St. Louis. I mean, I think it was Missouri. (laughs) Because that, that was where the death happened. but. Even though he was sentenced to death, Dr. Dale is not going to let other people be in control of his fate. So later that year, he took his own life by hanging himself with an electrical cord while in prison at the age of 61.
1: You know, in all the accounts that I read or that you told me about, I never saw one mention of anything positive of the family, any memories, yeah. were, you know, times that they were good. Everything that was told about this whole family was terrible. I
0: know. It's just awful. I you know, these stories that we do, they're they happen. I mean, it's real life stuff that happens and it's so hard to imagine people being this way. And especially someone who is a physician and is supposedly devoted his life to caring for people and healing people. But I do think that some people go into the medical profession, not because of wanting to heal and help people, but for other reasons, for more selfish reasons, because they think it brings them some sort of status for the money or whatever. And clearly that had to have been his motive because the man was definitely not, there's no way you treat your family like this and then really give two cents of anybody else. There's just no way. He was just so selfish. So you guys, for our good doctor story, of course, you know, I usually, I can't always do this, but I usually try to do a good doctor story if I did a bad doctor. So this this week, I was able to find a good doctor that I'm really excited about. Her name is Myra Adele Logan. Myra Adele Logan was an American physician. She was a surgeon and an anatomist. And she was the first woman to perform open heart surgery. I think that is so cool. I work on a cardiovascular intensive care unit and with I work with CT surgeons, and I get to see these open-heart patients all the time. I'm not heart-trained yet. I'm still new. I'm scared. (laughs) I don't want to do it. But I'm going to get heart-trained. I just feel like I need to be—I want to be 100% confident before I take that on. And when I think about she was the first woman— to do this surgery. And I believe, if I remember correctly, when I was I'm kind of trying to look down to, into the story now, but I want to say this was like the ninth time that open heart surgery, she became the first woman to perform open heart surgery. And it was the ninth operation of its kind. That was in 1943. So she was born in 1908. Um, and then in 19, by 1943, she became the first woman to perform open-heart surgery. And that was the ninth operation. I think the way that we perceive the past and what women were allowed to do and what what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable, not only was she a woman, she was African-American. And so it's really just mind-boggling to me to think that she had this opportunity. I'm so glad that she did. She sounds like an amazing person. And I feel like through the years, there's always times when society is just trying to push certain people down. Through that, I feel like there's always really, really strong people that can rise up against that and thrive in spite of it. And she was one of these people, obviously. I am so impressed by her. She was born to Warren and Adela Hunt Logan. She was the youngest of eight children. Her mother was college educated and involved in the suffrage and healthcare movements. Again, Myra Logan was born in 1908 and her mother was college educated. So this Is a very prominent family. Her father was treasurer and trustee of Tuskegee Institute and the first staff member selected by none other than Booker T. Washington. So, certainly a a prominent family with lots of connections. She was so incredibly intelligent. She graduated with honors from Tuskegee High School, and she attended Atlanta University and graduated as valedictorian of her class in 1927. She was an overachiever, for sure. (laughs) She moved to New York and attended Columbia University. She got a master's degree in psychology and worked in the YWCA in Connecticut. And then she decided to go into medicine. She just, no one, she apparently didn't get the memo that women and African-Americans weren't supposed to do this stuff. So she just went and did it. She was the first person to receive a four-year, $10,000 Walter Gray Crump scholarship that was exclusively for aiding African-American medical students to attend New York Medical College. And she graduated in 1933, before your dad was born. That's crazy to think about, isn't it? It is. She interned and did a residency in surgery at the Harlem Hospital in New York. And then, I just love this story. She married, okay, so there's a painter. This is a, this is a movie. I mean, this is, why is this not a movie? This needs to be a movie. So here she is, this extremely intelligent, scholarly woman, just Highly accomplished doctor. She's doing her internship at this at this uh, hospital, and she comes across this painter Charles Alston, and he is working on a mural project at the Harlem Hospital where where she was an intern. And this mural project is called Modern Medicine. It's a you guys can look that up. It's a really cool mural. It's just beautiful. But in the mural, among a lot of other different people that he was depicting, there was a nurse holding a baby, and Myra Logan was a model for that nurse, and so that's how she met him. So she ended up marrying that painter, Charles Alston, and they got married on April eighth, nineteen 1944 and i just thought that was kind of neat that she would marry this painter i don't know i just it just seems like a opposites attract kind of a situation
1: yeah free spirit
0: so she became a, an associate surgeon at harlem hospital that's where she pretty much spent most of her career um she was also a visiting surgeon at Sydenham hospital and also had a private practice in 1943 was when she uh, was able to perform that open heart surgery and she developed her specialty in children's heart surgery. So she did a lot of other things though too. She developed antibiotics. Um, She and a team of physicians treated 25 patients with a special antibiotic that she was um, a part of developing and they were successful. They got positive results from that. I mean, she she did a lot of things. She was an accomplished pianist. She was served on the New York State Commission on Discrimination during Governor Thomas Dewey's administration. She resigned from the commission with seven other members after Dewey uh, shelved anti-discrimination legislation that they had drafted. So she was pretty bold and um, not afraid to stand up for, for what she believed in. And I just, I don't know, I just think she's a great person and I'm so happy to be able to just talk about her and uh, let everyone know about what she did and what she was able to accomplish. She retired in 1970 and later served on the New York State Workmen's Compensation Board. She died of lung cancer at Mount Sinai Hospital on January 13th, 1977. And that's our good doctor story. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast and gracing everyone with your presence.
1: <laughs> uh, thank you it's great to be here.
0: You guys um, can find us at goodnursebadnurse.com and you can email me if you want to message me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. We're on Instagram at GNBN Podcast, Twitter at GNBN Podcast and Facebook at did I say that right? No, I'm sorry. We're on Facebook at and Podcast and Twitter at and Podcast on Instagram at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And I just want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, please just be a good nurse.